Hello and welcome to yet another episode of Abantu Podcast. Bantu Mchiselwa is my name and we're back with another episode. And on today's episode I'm joined by an award-winning jazz artist, a lecturer, and most of all a scholar. Please help me welcome Unumfundo Khalova to the Podcast. Hi Numfundo, how are you doing today? Hi Bantu, I'm very well, thank you and uh, hello to everybody who's listening. How are you? I'm doing good, thank you. Winter is really playing tricks on us and I hope that you are enjoying the last days of summer. <laughs> well, I'd rather not tell you what yeah, my view looks like. I don't want to make you feel bad, but yes, Eish. I am in the beauty <laughs> of Cape Town summer. Oh, and the long sunsets as well. Yeah, <laughs> I'm so that's, that's exactly where I am. So, you know, let's keep it moving. Otherwise, I could just sink your spirits. Yeah. Um, I recently read an article that you penned down in celebration of Mamus Bongle Kumalo. I must say it left quite a big smile on my face. What lessons do you think we can learn from the life of Mamus Bongil? Uh Wow, I mean... <laughs> Thanks for that. It was quite um, a daunting task to write the article because, I mean, I'm not, I don't really consider myself much of a a writer in that sense, right? Mm -hmm. But Spungil and I used to have these conversations endlessly about the need for black voices to write about black artistry. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and so I felt like, you know, when the opportunity and the request came, you know, to write, I, I had to do it. Mm. I had to find the words and do, because otherwise it it would mean that the conversations we'd had were null and void, right? Mm. And so um and so I think the lessons are really embedded in the article I speak about personhood, right? That um that it's important to be a good person. Yes. And I think Mams Mungile was really the embodiment of of that personhood that you know, when we write about her, we want to write about all the things that she did. But oftentimes you find that people who do great things are not always good people, mm. you know. And so um, I speak about Ubuntu Bake, you know, and, and what what she was as a person to everyone around her. And I think for me, the lesson is to say that it doesn't matter how good you become at what you do. You know, you could become, you know, the most uh, consummate performer uh, or you can be at the top of your game, but it's important to just be a good person, you know? Um, And I think that's the lesson that, that I learned from her. And it's a lesson that I hope people will latch on to. Um, on the article, you mentioned that a lot of times when you were together, you didn't really engage a lot on music and the uh, music and the technicalities of voice and how to do a whole lot of things. And that's not a usual thing for a young artist, in a, in my opinion. Sometimes you get consumed by the space and the greatness of the person you're with. Why? did it flow in that manner that you just became a human being within that space instead of just talking about the usual, the music and everything else around her? Yeah, it, I mean, it's interesting, right? Because you would imagine that if I'm sitting with her in a room, I want to talk about singing and I want to talk about music and I want her to tell me and teach me everything that she does with mm. her voice. But I think her aura was very different. I think, you know, she had that kind of maternal aura, you know, um, she was just a mother. So you actually felt like you were just in a room with your mother, you know. And Mm. so and I think we were both so comfortable in what we did artistically as individuals that we never felt a need to engage on 
the voice or repertoire or, you know, we just kind of engaged on stuff that was a lot, a lot more nuanced than that. So we'd speak about, you know, the industry politics, we'd speak about the role of women, you know, in the arts, mm. we'd speak about transformation, um, you know, we'd speak about family, about tradition, we'd speak about her grandkids, you know, um, mm. And, and that kind of thing, you know, we'd speak about, you know, insecurities that often that we have, stuff that troubled us, you know, how is it that we could make a difference? And so when you actually look at the, at, at the, at the nature of the, of those conversations and the content, you realize that it, it makes talking about singing very sort of trivial mm. because actually the world's got bigger problems Indeed. than, you know, then how do you sing like that? Or, how, you know, there's there's greater things and more important conversations to be had. Mm. Um, but at the same time, like I say in, in the piece, that her recordings, her albums were the school. I didn't need, I, there was nothing else I needed. I yeah. just needed to listen to that music, you know, um, to understand and to learn and to mimic, you know, some of the sounds and some of the things that she was doing. Um, and and I say, in fact, I said in, a diff- in another podcast last year, I was saying to someone, I said, you know, I'd like to be the kind of performer that I teach through my singing. Mm. You know, I, I want to be able to teach through the way that I sing without necessarily having to explain in words and in technical terms okay. that this is what I'm doing with my voice now and blah, blah. I want people to listen to my album and to learn something from it. And Swongila was that mm. for me. And before we get into the topic of our podcast today, how do we then celebrate people of this stature moving forward? Are we doing enough and how do we do it? I mean, <laughs> I don't know if we're doing enough. I think for me, you know, I, we are touched differently by different people's passing, mm. right? And so I think it would be very disingenuous for me to give a blanket answer that this is what we should do okay. for people of the stature because many other people have fallen who have great stature, but they're, they're their deaths did not affect me the way that Swongilis did, yes, right? Yes. So I suppose it really depends on the on on your personal relationship with that person. But on the whole, I think you know we need to celebrate these icons by documenting their work and documenting their influence and their contribution to art, mm. which I, which is why I think it's, it's so important to write. Mandu. Like I cannot even begin to to explain to you that. Because someone said to me the other day, someone said, look, um, people will forget who performed at the funeral and this and that because I was supposed to perform. I was on the program, blah, yes. blah. Time read out. I was backstage. Anyway, I didn't get to go on stage. And someone said to me, people will forget who performed where, but but the article, but the written work lives forever. Mm. And it, it, it's and in so my I, mind even now. I'm yeah. just thinking of each and every line that I read there. Yeah, it's so powerful. So I think it's really important that we write. We must document, um, and 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 not just document, but but bring these icons and their contributions into spaces of learning, mm. right? And bring them into mainstream um, knowledge systems and and indigenous knowledge systems, right? Yeah. Um, otherwise, then it's meaningless. You know, we have to be able to speak about Swongile in academia. We need to be able to 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 study her work in lecture theatres, in community art halls, everywhere. Mm. Um, but importantly, we need to write and document something tangible wow. um, that that others can inherit 
even once we have left. Wow, that's powerful. Looking at our history as Abandaba Mnyama, we did a lot of oral um, passing of information, but now the times are different. We need to take a, not even a pen and paper. You just need to take uh, your phone and document something. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, and Nomfundo for your MPA, and congratulations for taking that step. It's not everyone that goes through that deep end. <laughs> sure, yeah. I'll take that congratulations. Thank you very I much. I would never do yeah. it again, trust me, <laughs> on my side. Neither would I. Neither would I. For your MBA, your research was focusing on whether the digital music platforms were in fact beneficial for independent artists. How far have you gone with that study and what results have you uncovered in the process? So it's complete. Mm. I'm finished. Okay. Um, it is done. <laughs> you know, mm. um, I finished the, the research and submitted the dissertation on this, on the 1st of December. Wow. And, um, and I've passed it very well. I've passed the, 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 the actual dissertation itself with distinction, actually. And wow. it's the first time I'm saying it because it's not officially out. Congratulations. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so I'm very excited about that because a lot of work went into it. But basically, in a nutshell, you know, first of all, the digital music space is not really adequately sort of uh, observed and written about. So the, the evidence and the data is very limited, especially from a static perspective, mm. right? But from the little that was available and through the interviews and the data gathering, you know, the idea was to really interrogate this notion of low barrier to entry. Yes. Um, if you think about the physical um, uh, music industry, the physical model was that it was dominated purely by record labels. So you could enter the industry through record labels, mm. right? Um, and so the barriers were a lot higher. You needed, to, you needed to be discovered by a certain label, blah, 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 blah. Fast forward to the digital aid, uh, age, you no longer need the record label to enter the industry. So yes. therefore, you know, there's this notion that it's low barrier to entry, everybody, it's an even playing field. Mm. And what my study then actually revealed was that it's not really a low barrier entry structure. It's just that the, the barriers have been relocated further in the chain, in the supply chain, Okay. right? And that, in fact, um, the big conglomerates and the huge and, you know, and the big labels still run the digital um, platforms mm. and still have huge stakes in those platforms. And so it's not really a democratized space. So what you being, what we see and what is being sold isn't really what's happening on the ground. Okay. Right. Um, and so, and so that was a really interesting study for me. And in fact, I got to interview, um, uh, Spotify's former chief economist. He was a chief economist for 17 years at Spotify, Mr. Will Page, mm. you know, um, which was really incredible to have him as part of my study, you know. But um, so it was interesting. And this notion of, uh, you know, that everybody enters and it's a, and everyone can basically access the same level of benefits is incorrect. Mm. You know, um, it's, it's, it's a lot more difficult to actually sustain yourself as an independent artist on the digital platforms because they are influencers at play all the time. Yes. You know, and so and so that was really interesting for me. And to and also what the study revealed was that we have a very different understandings of what it is to be an independent artist. Okay. 
you know, and by that, so other people, so you will find that there's a school of thought that says independent artists are people who own the copyright of their recordings. Yes. And then others will say, no, independent artists are people who actually pay for their own recordings and pay for everything from recording to marketing, okay. right? Inde- others will say independent artists are those who are just not signed to a record label. Mm. Um, but And then you find that others are independent artists but are signed to label service companies. Yes. So they're not record labels, but they offer label services. Mm. You know, And so there's like a five-tier structure that my study um, puts forward in terms of what, the, you know, what independent artistry and the different tiers that one could fit into. But we don't really... You know, here in South Africa, we're not we're not there yet. Okay. You know, we're not speaking on that level yet to say, guys, what does it mean to be an independent artist? Mm-hmm. You um, know, uh, um, yeah. and uh, on this independent artist thing, because now that you're talking about it now, it looks like I had a different um, understanding of it. Just briefly, mm-hmm. can you give us this tier of? Um, that these levels of um, being an independent artist, what it is, just briefly. Okay, so I'm just going to try and open. I've got my laptop open here, Sarge, because I want to give it to you exactly as it is. So basically, um, these tiers are, are taken from they're not a you know they they're not from a South African perspective because oh, we don't really we yeah. only have we don't really have uh, like TuneCore or DistroKid yeah. or these like mm-hmm. label companies that that um, that service mm. independent artists right yeah so what we do then we surrogate okay um, so we take so we surrogate and we say okay um, this this is the these are the five tiers uh, I'm opening it now so I'll be there these are the five no tiers in terms of what uh, what is happening internationally okay. uh, with the structures. And so basically this, here we go. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this, the tier is indie, indie DIY. So it's do it yourself, right? Yes. So that's tier one. And the, and the description there would be complete independence distributed through what we call aggregators. Okay. Um, right. So aggregators, the person, the people between yourself and as the artist and your your DSP or your digital service provider, yes. whether it's Apple or Spotify or whatever, mm. right? And an example of that would be a company like TuneCore or Distro, or DistroKid, both yes. of them not mm-hmm. South African. Mm-hmm. Then the second tier would be Indie Indie, right? Okay. Independent, independent, non-Merlin. So Merlin is this huge, um, it's a body that collects global digital royalty revenues on behalf of independent artists, okay. right? Um, and even Merlin, we don't have a Merlin type of company in South Africa, right? Wow. So then the second tier is independent and you are non-Merlin, meaning that you don't have this 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 unionized kind of company to bargain on your behalf, mm. right? And then the third tier would be indie Merlin. So you're an independent artist, but you belong to this body, okay. right? This body or this company that's kind of a union sort of uh, that bargains on your behalf, on your behalf. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then there's the fourth one is indie, but you distribute through a major label. We do that in South Africa. Yes. So sometimes people say, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm independent, whatever, but I've got a distribution uh, deal or just a licensing distribution with Sony or with Universal or whatever. Mm. And then the final tier would be major label, which is um, non-independent at all, signed to a major label, direct licensing. And that's it. Okay. Um, so those are the different spheres or different tiers. So basically, it's four independent. The fifth one being, you know, complete 
basically sort of signed to a label. And um, and what's interesting there is that, you know, we don't... So, for instance, uh, Universal Music has a label service uh, wing called Caroline. Yes. Right? Meaning that you could sign to Universal and not and retain your, your copyright and your masters and not be and not and not be uh fully signed to them, but be signed to their to their Caroline, which offers label services like perhaps promotion and yes. marketing and mm-hmm. so forth. Um, and then I know that I think Sony has one as well called uh, the Orchard. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, you know uh, so 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 those are the, the different tiers. And my question then becomes, can South African independent artists identify with any of those five tiers? Hmm. Yeah, that's right. quite a very hard one. <laughs> you know, it's a hard one. Mm. I, it's such a hard one because, you know, there are no, um, there are no examples. So, for yeah. instance, there's a company called Cobalt, you know, which is like, a, and Cobalt is a company that basically it's like a, it rep- it's also a body that represents um, independent artists, mm. um, you know, but we don't have one that is South African. So you find that a lot of South African artists who want this kind of representation would have to then, you know, try and sign up with these international companies, you know. Mm. So, um, so those are the five tier structures yeah, of independent artistry. And how do we move forward then? Because it sounds like we are trying to find a needle in a haystack that is in a very dark um, forest. How does one then start to really implement, even if it's, it's in a small scale in the environment that we're in in South Africa, how does one go about implementing something that will be local and the context is different from the international standard, not international standard, but from the companies that are yeah. in other countries? The international models. Mm. Yeah, I think, you know, firstly, we have to create an awareness Mm. around this. So, I mean, I saw one of the other questions as well that you were posing was, you know, education. Are are we really well educated about this kind of thing? Mm. You know, and and the, the answer, you know, is no. We're mm. not really, um, you know, and so there's that, but also it's the transparency. Uh, I think those who, cont- because the music industry is in, especially in South Africa and I, I suppose around the world is not run by musicians. Yes, It's run by, by businessmen and, and, you know, economists and that kind of thing. And so, and so musicians aren't aware Mm. of the of the inner workings of the industry right and those in power want to maintain that status quo because it serves the bottom line right mm. Mm. um and so it starts with that we 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 just don't have we're not educated about that kind of thing. I mean, I teach at a university and we don't even have that as part of the curriculum there mm. right mm. Mm. um and so we need to who's going to teach this who's going to lift the can lift the lid off the can and say guys this is actually what is going on, right? Mm. Um, so I think it starts there because you cannot achieve anything if no one is aware of what's really going on. Um, and so I think that's r- really a very important. And I don't think the government is really that interested in in investing in 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 this kind of um, in Ventures. this kind of mm. 
yeah, infrastructure and, you know, in, in terms of teaching and training, uh, research and development, I, I, I also suggest in my study, you know, that, that we need, um, we need hubs and we need incubators, digital incubators yes. where people can go and learn about this kind of thing. Right. Mm. Um, because what we're doing now is that we're just constantly coasting on, on business models from the North, mm. you know, um, and from the West, we, we don't have, you know, models that really speak to, to the us. environment. Mm. To the environment, you know, and Oof. and if we're not careful, you know, a place like Nigeria is gonna quickly, you know, they they they're slightly ahead of us. In, Actually, in a way. they you are. Know, we, <laughs> we are. They are. They they really are. Mm. You know, but also because they they have a different way of thinking about their own music. That's you true. Know? Mm. And they don't. Yeah, and they don't import so much foreign content. Mm. Wow. Right. So, so there's, a, yeah, so there's a couple of things that we need to fix, even if we wanted to even take one step forward in, in the right direction. And um, in a scenario I have, maybe let me make an example with a hip hop young guy who mm-hmm. has a distro, um, is a distro kid account. Yeah. How mm-hmm. do they then um, go about in terms of trying to maximize on the streaming services? Because, Streaming services are believed to make music more available, but mm-hmm. does this accessibility contribute to an actual revenue? No. Hmm. No. It 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 really that's the long and short answer of it is no, not really, right? And that's the big um sort of global uh, uh there's a there's a hashtag actually I think it's called uh, hashtag broken record. Okay. Um that was that was trending sort of last year after uh Daniel Eck of Spotify basically said that, you know, if artists want to to keep relevant, they need to put out work all the time. They need mm. to release music all the time. And there was this outrage to say, well, that's not how art works, you know. Um, but the reality is that, first of all, uh, the streaming services pay, they have a pro rata payment system. So it's very different to the physical model. Mm. And also, if you think about how many times your song has to be streamed in order to make an hourly wage. I mm. mean, it's like 3000 I mean, I read an article last year, something like in the UK, that an artist, your one song has to be streamed at least 3,000 times in order to generate the UK hour, That's hour ridiculous. wage. Yeah. Wow. And so the guy was basically saying, you're better off flipping burgers in a restaurant, actually, <laughs> because you'll make more money, you know. Um, and that's the reality. And so streaming has made this music available. It's increased the catalog that's available to consumers, but it's really hit the pocket of the artist badly. Mm. Like you cannot, it's not, it's only the really high end artists who make money from streaming. And that's not because of streaming. That's because when streaming arrived, they already had a huge global following to begin with, Mm. you know? So if you're starting out now in the digital, it's very hard to reach those numbers. You know, if you, I mean, a classic, I mean like, okay, let's take Beyonce for argument's sake, you Mm. know, Beyonce is going to make a lot of money from streaming, not because of streaming, Mm. But because she had a fan base, a huge fan base before, so she just migrated her com- community. You know, it's migrated onto the digital, app, you know, digital sphere. Mm. But like for me or someone else or whatever, or even an artist who started now, you know, it's hard because 
people don't pay for music anymore, you know, um, or people don't want to own music anymore. Yeah. They just want to access it. Wow. You so, know, so we've moved from ownership to access. Mm, with, the, with the customer, um, because I think another problem lies there. A lot of these mm. streaming services, they have the free consumer choices mm-hmm. where they sell a lot of ads, of course. But mm-hmm. in, and there's another flip on the side of the coin people that opt for a choice where there will be a premium option. So Mm. basically, what makes these people take these options? Does it make any difference anyway to the artist or it's just for the platform that's providing the music, basically? It's more for the platform, really, right? So this, so the 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 model, it's it, yeah, it serves the platform more than it serves the artist, mm. right? But then again, one will argue and say, yeah, but the artist, you know, if the artist builds a, a big enough community and gets them to stream their music, you know, they can make money. But I'm like. It really hasn't proven to be that way, though. And if you think about, like, I mean, Taylor Swift take, taking her music off Spotify a couple of years ago, because yeah. you realize that, no, man, this thing is not, you know, working for me. But basically, you know, the the thing about the premium, it also depends on whether, like in South Africa, how many people have, how many people are banking, mm, right? Yeah. How many people have the, uh, uh, the, the debit cards card, or credit mm. cards? Yes, where they can pay for premium and that kind of thing. So it speaks to the population and and what what percentage of the population is um, is banking. Mm. Um, so so that's one. And then obviously people will opt for the freemium. So the freemium is the ad supported, right? Yeah. Um, because it's accessible. But the whole thing about streaming, they argue that you know. Uh, because pre-streaming it was piracy, yes. so the streaming, so the streaming companies are saying, well, we've eradicated piracy, so take it or leave it, right? Because <laughs> people now, because people were going to access this music anyway. That's true. Either through piracy, so now at least they're accessing it legally. Mm. So whether they on a freemium or a premium, it doesn't really matter. But what they're wanting to do is that they're trying to get as many people to eventually be. On premium contracts, yes. because the argument is that the more the more users are on the platform, the more money can be distributed to the artists. But even that's still to be proven, mm. um, right? So yeah, so it depends. I think you know, it's like it's a choice thing. I mean, if you do have the credit card and you pay, you don't mind paying the fifty nine rand a month, and you mm. don't have to be to be interrupted, then you'll do it. But other people just don't mind that they don't want to pay that 59 rand and they don't mind the ads, you know, Mm. but either way, the fact that the the consumer now, you know, has those options, no one is sitting and thinking, well, how does this actually affect the creators of the content? Exactly. And the owners of the content. Mm. And the owners of the content. Mm. Yeah. We are just, we are just, uh, we just the tools, you know, we're not, yeah, we're not being considered in terms of, and yet, but you know, we put them, we put our music out there anyway, I guess, mm. you know, um, mm. there's, there's this one, um, company, uh, Musica is closing down, I think in May. Yeah. And that means that yeah. the options for distributions are narrowing it down and becoming smaller. Completely. So how do we go about now? giving out the content and the music so that the money comes straight to your hand instead of waiting for those streams? 
Well, that's actually a brilliant question. And it's something that um, Will Page of Spotify, well, used to be a Spotify. He was, you know, he speaks about this trickle down economics, mm. right? And he argues that, well, with so much technological advancements, why is it that if I want to buy your album on a Spotify or an Apple, why can I not pay you directly? Yes. Mm. Right. What is it? Why can I not? Why must there be a middle person in the payment process? Right. Why can I not pay? So now you're finding other platforms, Bandcamp and so forth, you know, where you can actually access the music and pay the artists, um, you know, in a different way that where, where they get the money, you know, almost immediately or more directly without all these aggregators. Yeah. Um, and so with with a, with a shop like Musica closing, I mean, Musica is now closing what's left of it because a lot of it was already closed, yes. right? So now they're basically shutting down their destination mall um, branches. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was long time coming because remember, even when you walked into Musica, the music was at the back and the gaming was at the front. That's true. And all the other... Right? Um, exactly. Uh, yeah. uh, gadgets. And- mm the gadgets right and so and so it was always going to happen it's just i think covid just made it go a lot quicker mm. you know it's tricky i don't think that there is a one size fits all i think i mean i always encourage artists to still you know um print out physical copies yes right even if your music is on a digital platform i do think that artists should print out physical copies it's different it's difficult now because there aren't any performances happening but there's power in selling your music at your gigs that's true and selling your Mm. albums at your gigs right Mm. and i see a lot of my colleagues right now on social media even opting to courier albums to people Mm. Right. Because you still have a lot. There's still quite a large percentage of, of consumers who want to touch and hold the CD. That's true. Mm. Right. Um, and so and so I don't know, you know, it's going to we, we're going to need to observe this, look at it um, and see how we fit in and and. and and how each artist basically, you know, wants to distribute their music. But the reality on the ground is that digital is the is is the dominant mode mm. now. Um, and I think about myself. I mean, I don't know when last I bought a CD. Yeah. You know, so I'm not even so I'm not even mad because I'm like, I don't even know when last I bought a CD. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I don't think anyone should sit on a pedestal and say, well, blah, 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 because we all. I'm happy to just go on to a DSP and stream the music that we want, Yeah, you know? Mm. So, um, but I do think that there is still power in, in, in printing a physical copy, but the reality that I do want to put forward is the fact that the, the thinking around buying music is changing very quickly Yes, because think about the average teenager now or your 10 year old now, they don't know that music is something that you buy. Mm-hmm. So in 10, 15 years time, the gener- people, they're just not going to know. It's yeah. not something that you buy. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas when we were in school, you know, you used to save up money and, music and, and buy, buy a single. Mm. <laughs> you used to buy a single. Remember, a single. Yeah, I those, remember those small discs. Yeah, I had a lot of those. <laughs> you know, I used to buy Spice Girls mm. a single, you know, get pocket money, you know, you go and whatever, because you knew that if you wanted an, an album or a song, you bought it. Yes. You know, mm. it's not like that anymore. And kids now just don't, they, they're not going to, no, it's not a thing, mm. you know? You, you, so, um, so yeah, so we need to wrap our heads around that reality. Yeah. You were talking about the, the digital space. 
Um, mm. The entertainment industry, do you think, is adequately prepared to, to leverage and optimize the digital space? Now I'm talking about we got hit by COVID and lockdowns and everything else. Then you mm. saw a lot of artists offering free performances and live streaming on mm. Facebook and other platforms. Mm. Is there a way to to leverage on digital space for revenue for the, the South African entertainment industry? Hmm, very limited right now. Mm. Right? I don't I personally and you know, I invite other other opinions on this, but from my observation, um no. Mm. because those whom I know who have put on concerts on the digital spaces have not made money from them. Okay. Right. Because it costs money just to have that digital infrastructure to deliver That's true. Um, a concert and, the and also rem- and the quality, right? Digital customers expect digital experiences. Mm. Yeah. And so, um, and so there's that. Secondly, the digital divide in South Africa is too big. Yeah. You know, it's too big. Um, and so you it's hard for you to really um, to, to capture your full audience, you know, on a digital space. Mm. And, and thirdly, um, the, the, the volatility of our power in South Africa in terms of energy, um, you know, our power supply, it's, you, you just don't know. You know, we are a country that's completely crippled by persistent load shedding and power cuts, mm. right? And so that is also, and then, and then fourthly, you know, the cost of data in yeah. South Africa mm. is absolutely exorbitant. Mm. It's, it, I mean, one gig of data is going to set you back at least 100, 150 rand. And how much of a concert are you going to watch? With one gig of on and off, net, you know, signal and connectivity and blah, 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 blah. And you paid for the right? ticket. So, <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So there are all these things that really make it very difficult to leverage adequately and to maximize on the potential of the digital space. I think done right and done in countries. And I mean, like I watch stuff, you know, I mean, I was watching, you know, the San Francisco Jazz Master something, whatever online and the production quality, absolutely brilliant. Mm. Right. Um, brilliant from everything. It's just like top quality. You feel like you are, you are there. But I have to be sitting in Wi-Fi to enjoy that. And and I mean, the majority of South Africans can't afford Wi-Fi exactly. at home, mm. you know. Um, and so they, so it's very difficult to, to, to do that. And now, I mean, they're talking about, you know, the hybrid model where I can do a show. I mean, you were on that conference. We were there together, yes, the you know, conference. last November. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, like, you know, but even so, it's like, you know, we need we need more time to feel it and to see, you know, does it work? Does it not work? What are the glitches? Where do we need to improve? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's too soon now to kind of put a pronouncement that says, you know, we can make it work now. Otherwise, yeah. if we could, people would be doing these shows online. But the flip side, and you mentioned it earlier, is that people ended up, you know, in a knee jerk reaction, putting out their content for free. Yes. Mm. Last year. Mm. And again, once you do that, once you put content out for free, you cannot re-engineer the audience to now want to pay for it. Because you've given it for free. Yeah. Yeah, you can't. <laughs> you you know, yeah. it would be in an ideal world. You could say, guys, I'm giving it to you for free now, mm-hmm. but in a year's time, you're going to have to pay for it. In an ideal world, it would be great, but that's not how 
human beings are wired. Once you've given it to me for free, I feel like, <laughs> why should I have to, why should I have to pay for it then? Mm. You know? Um, but I don't judge any of the artists who ended up doing that. Mm -hmm. You know, um, people do what they feel they need to do to survive or just to have some semblance of sanity, you know? So, yeah. yeah. It, it looks like we, we still have a long way for um, an audience development and just awareness for the consumer on the value of what they're getting because, mm -hmm. Um, I've gone to a whole lot of shows around Europe and Germany. Mm. The show would be free to come in, but there's a disclaimer that please do donate money. And people mm. make a lot of money from those donations because someone will be mm. donating more than what they could have paid for for a ticket. A ticket. So maybe yeah. we still have um, a lot of groundwork to educate the consumers because it looks like there's a problem and a gap between the consumer development and, 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 and the education when it comes to valuing art in general, basically. A hundred percent, you know, you're completely right. But at the same time, you know, uh, if I think about the consumer, I kind of go, well, I understand the consumer in a way as well, because, mm -hmm. you know, if you're given the option to not pay for something that you want, you're going to you're going to take the option not to pay for it exactly you see so so the 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 problem is really with the platforms that that perpetuate this this continued sort of devaluing of mm. of art yeah mm -hmm. um you know in in order to to continue to make a lot of money yeah um because yeah because on an uh, naturally if if you give me if i mean youtube is the worst mm. right um, it's the worst. And the thing about YouTube as a platform is that half the stuff that's on there, the creator of the content did not upload it there. That's true. Mm. You know, so I mean, I know for myself, all the videos of me that are on YouTube, I've never, I've never uploaded a single video of myself on YouTube. Wow. You know, I don't even know how to use YouTube. I don't know how to <laughs> upload my video on YouTube. Mm. But that, but there's videos of me up on YouTube and my music and my performances and my songs and blah, 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 that people can stream and listen to and whatever. And I've never received, I mean, I cannot tell you mm. if I, you know, I, I don't know you know so um so there's definitely a lot of awareness you're right that needs to happen around it um and i think mobilization you yes. know mm. uh, artist mobilization i think also is very important you know so i think it was a good thing that they started the the hashtag sort of broken record, broken record. situation mm. and I, yeah you know um and in south africa you know we we we, we need to start having those conversations mm. you know but i don't know if we if we are there yet mm. in 2020 um just concluding our conversation 2020 showed mm. everyone flames we didn't see it um coming covid yeah. lockdowns and everything and music and art is all about human interaction and interacting right. with the audience what do you think then would be an effective approach from now on for artists to interact with the audiences and still earn a living in a way and also giving out content? Oh, that's a toughie. Mm. Um, that's a tough one. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that really came out and all the stuff that I've been watching in 2020 as a response to uh, COVID is that artists need to mobilize their communities, right? Yes. So 
you need to, artists need to really zone in on who their fan base is or who their fan base people are and really engage them mm. right on on the digital platforms but in a meaningful way um, a lot of people have now opted for something called Patron. I think it's um, a, a, a platform called Patron. So people basically have like their own sort of website okay. space where they, they dish out, they, they can put out content and people subscribe to that particular site, um, you know, to engage with artists on a more sort of intimate space. Um, it's paid for, but at the same time, you know, it's exclusive to the people who listen to your music, okay. which I think is a really good... Um, um, it's a really good platform. And, and so I think we should explore stuff like that in the interim. Um, but I think as well, artists need to also start thinking broader. Yes. You know, <laughs> we're going to need to start diversifying. I mean, I hate the word diversifying. <laughs> um, I, I think it's always loosely used, yes. you know, but we're going to need to think about multiple skills and multiple things that we can do. Mm. Um, because things are never going to really be the same again. That's true. That It's not going to be the same again. And the music industry will never be as it was before. Mm. And so you need to start really thinking outside the box, literally, and finding other ways of earning an income within music if we can, and maybe sometimes even outside of music. That's true. Right? It was like a swear word back in the day if you said, well, you know, you must do music as a, you know, you need a fallback plan. <laughs> That's you true. You know, it was like, how dare you? How dare you say I need a fallback plan? This, this is, is not a plan. hobby. <laughs> you know, this is not a hobby, you know, but... But the reality on the ground mm. is that we're moving fast, you mm. know, um, and the digital space is oversubscribed. Yes. So how do you raise your hand above the noise in the digital space? Yeah. You know, mm. um, and also we are bullied by algorithms on the digital space. Mm. You know, things are not what they seem. So even your, your biggest and most grand efforts, you know, can be halted, you know, by, by algorithms and other forces that are, you know, that are, that are at work on the digital platforms. Mm. And so, you know, and so for me, I, don't have the answer but i do think that you know we need to acknowledge as artists first and foremost that things are not good yeah. and that we need to re-strategize mm. um and the other thing i think people don't understand about independent artistry as, as a whole is that it's an expensive exercise exactly mm. You know, um, it's an expensive exercise. A lot of people are going into venture sort of partnerships. You know, artists should look at that, you know, partnerships, you know, in terms of and, and uh, you know, in terms of how you can really strengthen digital content mm. and find ways, you know, to, to monetize. But artists are not businessmen. That's true. That's uh, that's another you know, problem. We're not gonna, mm. Yeah, we're not going to wake up all of a sudden and think, well, how am I going to monetize? We don't have the skill necessarily to turn this art into money. Mm. Our skill is the art. And create. You know, mm. and to create. And so we need to also ad admit and acknowledge our limitations and then see how we can empower ourselves, upscale ourselves, partner up with business. So my thing personally going forward now that I've done the MBA and not, you know, and at the University of Cape Town is that I'm wanting to see a future, you know, in five year or 10 years time where the graduate school of business is very much intertwined with the, with the school of music, Yes, you know, because mm. we need to bring art and commerce. We need to merge them. Mm. You know, I we think need to that's find the biggest problem with our universities. Um, yeah. 
because I did my degree at NMMU. Everything mm-hmm. that I know with regards to administration and a little bit of knowledge on business is self-taught. And then I decided mm-hmm. to dive into the MBA. Then I got mm-hmm. to really see things in a different perspective. I think also yeah. the education needs to shift and yeah. interlink different programs, especially the ones in the arts, because universities have business departments. Why can't they do mm-hmm. an interlink um, between programs because you, you you send people out to the world and then when they get there, they don't know where to start and what to do. Exactly. Mm. And then when they don't know what to, where to start or what to do, then they become exploited and then they, they're vulnerable to all kinds of, you know, um, malfeasance and all kinds yeah. of exploitation, mm. you know. But I think it's great that you say that, that after that's what you, that was the light bulb for you after the MBA. And I think that's what the MBA has done for me. Mm. Wow. I think that's exactly what the MBA has done for me is that it's shifted my thinking, mm. you know, in the way that you say it shifted yours. It's really shifted mine. I've never thought like this before, Yeah, you know, um, and I used to think that, you know, and someone I interviewed for the MBA said, you know, for the longest time, I thought I was just, a, I just thought I was just not good enough as an artist, mm. you know. I just thought I was just not good enough because I just felt like I wasn't moving. Yeah. I wasn't making money. I wasn't this. I wasn't good enough. And then until I realized that, no, man, but the system is rigged, mm. you know, yeah. and then you get some sort of vindication that says it's not that your art is not good enough. It's just that, you know, it's There's something it's in suppressing you. Mm. It, it's something suppressing, you know. Mm. Um, so, yeah. So you're completely right. You know, the interlink. Yeah. We need the interlink. And I mean, and in, in arts for me, I think as well, you know, I'd like to see a situation where there's more copyright, uh, you know, we need law, copyright, legal needs yeah. to interact with the mm-hmm. arts, you know, business school needs to interact so that we really produce graduates who are, who know how to find their way. And contribute you know, something um, to the society because as an artist, I, I read something, a poster that says all these important skills um, that I needed, is it? the frontliners or uh, there's a term the government used when there was a lockdown, essential Mm. work. Yeah. Essential work. work And art was just right at the bottom there as one Mm. of those that are not really important. And then someone Mm. asked, so this poster that you seeing now that you're advertising with who made it, Mm. it's the artist that you're saying they're not an essential work. Without that poster, that means that the dissemination of information would oh, not wow. be in there. That's so, profound. yeah, it's quite oh, wow. it's quite okay. challenging. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wow. Okay, <laughs> I love that. I love I love stuff like that. Like yo. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, uh, in profound. closing, Nomfundo, yeah. any new projects mm-hmm. coming soon? I know you in academics and you're teaching, but you're also still an artist. Anything new coming from you soon? Um. Yeah. I mean. I, the music is, I wanted to record last year already, but obviously um, lockdown came through and then I thought, Ugh, let me just finish my thesis. Mm. Um, but I mean, as you know, I'm signed to Universal, right? Yes. And so um, my thing is that after two and a half years of studying this whole thing and writing a dissertation on independent artistry, I'm like, I don't know if I need to be with Universal anymore. <laughs> so, um, so the music is 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 written. It's there. I've, you know, I've been I, I perform it. I performed it at my gig in November. Okay, very well received and stuff. So I do want to record an album. It's just I'm trying to create the right environment um, because I don't want to 
I think I've, I've, I've run my, my race with Universal as, as a record label. And I think I'd rather go it alone from here. Okay. So there is that, but there's a negotiation process that has to happen first. Yeah. And I'm not anti, I'm not anti record labels. I just think it's a question of sitting and going, well, how could you be of use to me and how can I be of use That's to you? That's true. And then, and then put the album out, mm. you know, so definitely I, I'll, I'll release, um, I'll release the album. In fact, I, I performed the the title track at, at my last gig at Spear um, titled um, Ndilapa. Okay. Um, which I performed for the first time there. And that's what I want my album to be called. Um, oh. You know, this kind of declaration of presence. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's definitely in the pipeline. I don't know. I've got so many other writing projects now that, I, <laughs> that I'm doing and, and that I'm involved in, mm. but I, I have to record. But it's nice. It's nice now because I feel like I'm not pressured to, you know, yeah. record and then sell 10000 and then make money yeah, to pay mm. rent. Mm. And, and I don't want to live that life. Yeah. No. Now, I think mm-hmm. you should continue writing because reading that article, I was like, wow, I didn't know Unumfundo actually can write this beautifully i i just mm. smiled through reading that article <laughs> because yeah. with the writing i think when it comes from the artists yes there are arts administrators and everyone else um the critics and everyone else but also artists they need to own up to their voice and mm. write as you've said from um, the opening of this interview that we really need to write because we live this thing and we understand yeah every little aspect of it. So if it comes from us, it will have maybe a different feel to it because after reading Mm. that article, I really got refreshed. I'm so grateful for that. Thank Mm. you very much. That means a lot to me. And it's been, uh, it's been the general sort of feedback. And, and you know, the thing about writing, I always say people, you know, uh, I, this, this was my second dissertation now mm-hmm. um, with the MBA, you know, having written my first one on Miriam Makeba, you know, over 10 years ago. Yeah. And, and, and so I wasn't always sort of a good writer. I mean, like people, you know, you, you've got to just do it. You know, yeah, when I first true. started writing in academics, you know, my, I would write three pages and it would come back, you know, with red marking scratches mm. everywhere. You and that's know? quite heartbreaking. <laughs> it's heartbreaking, but I've been there, you know, so it's a process and it's a skill that mm. needs sharpening all the time um, and stuff. And so I really, I'm, I'm proud of the self to be able to pen an article of that nature, wow. you know, but it's taken a lot of practice. Um, when then, when I started with the NBA, it was a different style of writing to humanities. Yeah. I was always told that my writing is overly descriptive. It needs to be more <laughs> report style. You mm-hmm. know this because yeah. you, you know, you, you've got that NBA, you know, so now yeah. you're going, what? you know, and you try again. And by the end of it, you know, the markers, when they send back your assignment, they go, we, what a great writing style. Yeah. But it's trial and error, mm. you know, and I think um, we must be patient with ourselves and we must, we must just do it. Oh. You know, um, and eventually it'll come. So for me, it's very exciting to find myself writing because it was something that frustrated me very many years ago, mm. you know. So, so yeah. Well, thank you so much, Nomfunda. I really um, had a, a, an awesome time talking to you. Likewise. I was nervous when, before we talked and then I realized, ah, let's just go with it. <laughs> what were you nervous about? Man, <laughs> drama. What were you, what should you be nervous microphones, about? Microphones, <laughs> microphones. Yo, microphones, and they, they're not nice people. Ne- so. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I, and I also thought, yo, 
is this going to be like is this is it not going to break whatsapp call but i mean it's been absolutely smooth so, yeah i'm um, really grateful yeah. for that <laughs> so that means no, not too been, ma- too much editing phenomenal. as well <laughs> no it's been thank phenomenal. you so thank much, you so much and enjoy your day i will do you too man to keep safe cheers and that was Nomfundo Kalova, a beautiful interview that I had with her. And I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And if you'd like for us to interview more other people, you can just comment on this episode and also press like and give us that star. It is Bantum Chiselwa. We'll see you in the next episode.